1: This is the Graybar
2: Sports on a Sunday Morning. Goldspin swings and he hits a
1: drive. He hits a slammer.
2: Graybar, your distributor for electrical and datacom needs.
1: silicon win!
2: Now, from the Stiefel Financial Sports Studio, Tom Ackerman.
1: Welcome back to the show. Ollie Marmel was with us. So was Dan Reardon at the Ascension, and so was Eli Drinkowitz, the Mizzou coach. Those have been our guests so far, along with Chris Roseman, Senior Vice President of the St. Louis Sports Commission, all with us During the 10 o'clock hour, go back to the Odyssey app, and we'll have it up soon, KMOX.com, our Sports on a Sunday morning podcast. We have a lot going on, including Andrew Price. For those of you watching our live stream, you see Andrew in studio with us representing UCP Heartland and the Wing Ding coming up on Tuesday, September 12th. Starts at 5.30 at the factory. The best wings in town will be competing for who has the best wing in town. And last year's event was so good, I can't imagine what this year going to be like with all the people. And it was easy to get all the wings and beer and have a good time at the factory. And, of course, if you have too many beers, you are going to want to Uber home. Last year, I had too many wings. That was my problem. I actually was a judge for the second category, but it, I didn't realize that. So I sat down. They said, hey, you got an, we got an open spot. You're a judge. So I sat down. I judged the first 10 wings, Buffalo traditional style. They were great. Uh, and then I, they said, now for our judges of the dry rub category. And I was on that list. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, then I'll I'll sit down and I'll eat some more wings, I guess. And uh, there were like eight, I think, in that group. So now I'm at 18 wings. And then the other judges and, and, and staff members said, well, you have to stay for the third one. Now you can't back out now. You got to stay for the specialty category. So I ate eight more wings. I ended up with 26 wings, not I don't think I ate chicken for about a week. I couldn't look at a wing or, but it was, man, they were good. So, so good. Had a great time at uh, the wing ding. So I hope that you do that as well. Andrew, I've given you something to work on now. I texted you all of the NFL matchups. Every week we go through these and you give me your picks. So I need those by noon. Okay. Can you, can you give me those by noon? Uh, I need your picks for the NFL. Best games of the day. I said this earlier on Total Information AM here, NFL Week 1. I think the Browns-Bengals one is a big one, and that's because it's in Cleveland. Cincinnati is everybody's exciting team. I think a lot of people like them a lot, think they're going to be a contender again. This game's a pick though, and that's because they're playing in Cleveland. This is probably the best quarterback matchup, well, today. Tomorrow, Aaron Rodgers against Josh Allen is the marquee matchup, Bills and Jets, But uh, the Bengals at Deshaun Watson and the Browns with Joe Burrow just signing the richest contract in history, that is an intriguing matchup that's coming up here on CBS at noon. I like that one a lot. Uh, Elsewhere, the NFL games that I think are somewhat intriguing. Uh, I'm curious to see what the New Orleans Saints look like. Everybody seems to be enthusiastic about their turn of events. Green Bay without Rodgers. Going to Soldier Field, he owned the Bears for so many years, and the Bears are favored in a game against the Packers. They're a one-point favorite today at 325. That game uh, will be on Fox, which I don't get at home because I have AT&T U-verse. So you know, I've kind of had enough of that, quite honestly. The Spectrum and the ESPN, I know everyone's harping on that, but I don't hear enough people talking about the the whole Nextar, DirecTV, U-verse thing going on. I I can't get Fox 2 in my house. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, What other games do we like today? I think that's uh, maybe Miami Chargers. That's going to be a high-scoring game today at 325. Sunday night game, Dallas and the Giants should be good. But I I love this game tomorrow night. Monday night football should be the best game of the week. And it is. Buffalo at the Jets. Joe Buck. We'll have the call of the Bills and the Jets with Aaron Rodgers showing off his new Jets jersey in a regular season game for the first time. College football yesterday, game of the day was Alabama and Texas, and Bama losing it is one part of the story. And I know that Tide fans are going to be up in arms about this team now and trying to figure out what the heck's going on and will they be a national championship contender again. They will be. They'll be ready for the SEC schedule. Don't worry about it. Alabama will be just fine. They have Nick Saban as their coach. They're going to South Florida's next. I feel sorry for them. That game's on Saturday afternoon. Then they're going to host Ole Miss. They'll handle that game. They'll beat Lane Kiffin and Mississippi. They go to Mississippi State and A&M, both road games never easy in the SEC, but I still think he's got a beef with Jimbo Fisher and I do think that A&M is just not good. I mean, they they got trounced yesterday by Miami. Their defense isn't close to what it used to be. Uh, they hired Bobby Petrino to be their offensive coordinator. A lot of attention on the offense with the Aggies, and the defense was horrendous yesterday. Those are the next games for Bama before they host Arkansas and Tennessee, then take a bye week before LSU. Then they go to Kentucky, they host Chattanooga, and they go to Auburn, which is not quite uh, up to their level yet for The Iron Bowl, always a great game, but Bama should be the better team there. I think Bama's just fine. I think they've got a lot of tough games ahead of them, but the real story is that Texas is back. Texas is back. Steve Sarkeesian takes his team into Tuscaloosa and wins the ballgame 34-24. Other big game yesterday was Colorado against Nebraska. Nebraska is not back. Nebraska was hoping that Matt Rule would get them at least to a respectable position where they can have some hope, and they have now started the season 0-2. They went to Minnesota and lost in the Big Ten opener, and they got slaughtered yesterday by Colorado. Coach Prime has the Buffs playing great. They've got swagger. They have edge. They continue to be told by Sanders that nobody respects them which is not true. I think everybody is enamored with Colorado, but he's going to tell them that no one believes in him. Place was sold out. It was rocking, and they absolutely destroyed uh, Nebraska yesterday, 36-14. Shadur Sanders, their quarterback, is going to get all the Heisman attention, but I'm telling you, that Travis Hunter, who plays DB and wide receiver for Colorado, who he brought over from Jackson State, is the best player in the country. He is – you can't take your eyes off of him. He is unbelievable. And at some point, he will win a Heisman, whether it's this year or the next. But Colorado is here to stay. And I hope Dion is there to stay and doesn't go elsewhere. I hope that he continues to build something at Colorado because those folks in Boulder have been waiting a long time. That's the biggest crowd they've had there in two decades, without a doubt. Uh, when we come back, we're going to hear about soccer. We had a match last night. The United States men's national team played Uzbekistan and won. And City plays tonight against the L.A. Galaxy. For that and more, we will catch up with one of the great soccer analysts in this town, Ty Keo, visiting with our Jennifer Cease. Don't miss that. John Mosaylock along with us at 1130. On KMOX's Sports on a Sunday morning, sponsored by Graybar.
2: From the Stiefel Financial Sports Studio,
3: Tom Ackerman.
1: Every week at this time, Sunday at 11.15, we are joined by the sporting director of St. Louis City SC, Lutz Fannestiel. He is on assignment today as they are visiting L.A. Galaxy tonight. 7 o'clock is Vantage Credit Union game time on Y98FM. For right now, we turn our soccer coverage over. And with a special guest, here is Jennifer Cease.
4: Joined now by Taekyo soccer player, current soccer broadcaster with so many bullets, was a slew billikin, played in the NASL, St. Louis Steamers, and now U.S. Men's National Team alum. Ty, thanks for your time.
2: Great to be with you, Jen. It's an exciting time here in St. Louis.
4: The U.S. Men's National Team came to town over Labor Day weekend, practicing and used St. Louis City's facilities, and something special really happened with the alumni.
2: It's really fantastic when U.S. Soccer comes here with the U.S. Men's National Team and really wants to be a part of that history that... is here and is so strong. It is soccer's first capital in the United States. Dave Lang told me it's upwards of 80 St. Louisans have played on the U.S. men's national team. We went to the practice, and they basically took a small break at the beginning of their practice to come over and meet the old St. Louis guys, which I'm one of them, and present us with a very nice memento, which really establishes the connection of what went before all the history that is here in St. Louis. What was the memento? Well, they gave us a coin, and they are all also giving us jerseys with a number. Only about 800 guys nationwide in the United States have ever played since 1916 on the U.S. Men's National Team. So each guy has a number which corresponds with what order they appeared. Steve Petcher a teammate of mine. His is 330. Mine is 360 because I joined the national team roughly two and a half years after he did. So I was the 360th player in the United States to ever represent our country since 1916 when the U.S. Soccer Federation was established. I thought it was great for Greg
4: Halter and Tim Rehm to talk between the alumni and the players that are currently on the team and really draw that line. One day being an alum is in their future.
2: Well, that's part of the tradition and the history and the great feelings that you have about being a part of something that is so big. Hey, do we get a kick out of seeing Tim Rehm still out there doing the job as a center back for the U.S. men's national team at St. Louis? And we see Josh Sargent also appear in the most recent World Cup. So there's still some. St. Louis guys stepping right in there. And like drawing that line
4: between the younger and the older of what this means and to see that line when you grew up, Ty, in a day where
2: it wasn't always easily seen. Well, for me it was. My dad was on the U.S. Men's National Team and he was a part of that famous team that went to the World Cup in 1950 with five St. Louis players in the lineup and defeated England, which is still possibly the biggest soccer upset in world soccer history. I grew up around guys like Pat McBride, Carl Gentile, Al Trost. These guys are National Soccer Hall of Famers. They were professional players. They have represented St. Louis and we're very proud to wear the U.S. Men's National Team jersey. So I'm kind of soaked in all of that history and pride and just the honor that it is and get to wear that USA jersey. Any youth in St.
4: Louis can know that just 20 minutes or 30 minutes from me, the U.S. Men's National Team is practicing and playing.
2: Well, it's right here. We've got a fantastic facility in City Park and of the training facility that's right now, St. Louis is making that next stride. We've waited a long time to have a major league soccer team. We have that now. We have a facility where the U.S. women's national team, the U.S. men's national team has appeared, and we've also had U.S. Open Cup matches. So it's St. Louis just going into a new era and getting back into the ability to be a true soccer capital and really show what we've done in the past and now translate it into the future. And certainly St. Louis City's success being at the top of the Western Conference is just a huge part of it. It creates so much energy and so much happiness for the soccer community. I think it's pretty
4: meaningful that the U.S. men's head coach, Greg Berhalter himself, stamped it for all time. He said that they regarded St. Louis as the
2: soccer capital. Greg Berhalter knew it as a player himself. <laughs> he played with and against many St. Louis players on the way up because really St. Louis, for decades, have won championships at the youth soccer level, the junior soccer level. St. Louis University with 10 and NCAA Division I championships, SIU Edwardsville with one Division I NCAA championship, umsol won an NCAA Division II championship, hundreds of guys have gotten college scholarships and played all over the country because the recruiters would come to St. Louis to find players because they knew it was a hotbed and a true soccer capital.
1: Oh, I appreciate it, Jen. Thanks very much. With Ty Keo. We have City Soccer tonight, City and the LA Galaxy at 7 o'clock. That's Vantage Credit Union game time on Y98FM. Six-point lead for City in the MLS's Western Conference. They have that lead over Seattle. Seven points over LAFC, who's going to be here on September 20th, a week from Wednesday. Wednesday. But L.A. Galaxy is the matchup tonight. And although they are bringing up the rear, second-worst team in the West, I've been told over and over now by Lutz, by Bradley, Carnell, the head coach, that this is a team to watch out for. They're actually starting to come together. They're playing a lot better. City will try to find a way tonight. On Y98. Someone who got the job done yesterday was Coco Goff. She claimed her first Grand Slam title defeating Arena Sabalenka at the U.S. Open, Arthur Ashe Stadium, 23,000 people in Queens. She is 19 years old, Coco Goff. She overcame some setbacks early in the match and got the crowd on her side, and she became the first American teenager to win the country's major tennis tournament since Serena Williams back in 1999. After the match, Goff spoke about the influence of Serena and her sister Venus.
5: Growing up, um, you know, there wasn't too many just black tennis players dominating the sport. It was literally, I mean, at that time when I was younger, it was just them that I can remember and obviously more, came because of their their legacy, so it made the dream more believable. Um, But all the things that they had to go through, um, they made it easier for someone like me to do this.
1: Coco Goff winning her first Grand Slam title at age 19. A partisan crowd, the first American teenager, as I mentioned, to win the country's major tennis tournament. Goff has burst onto the scene, but she's really been part of the conversation since she was 15 years old. She became the youngest qualifier in Wimbledon history that year. She has now stretched her winning streak to a career-best 12 matches. And after the match, she said this.
5: I've just been embracing, you know, every positive and negative thing that's said about me. I realize, you know, sometimes people um, have different personalities and some people need to shut off the comments and not look at them. But I'm I'm an argumentative person.
1: Former President Barack Obama congratulated her on her title and the messages quickly poured in to social media. Obama and his wife, Michelle, were in Arthur Ashe Stadium on opening night. And when Goff rallied for victory before a tribute honoring Billie Jean King, President Joe Biden, both Obamas, King, former President Bill Clinton, among those praising Goff with messages, she said.
5: I felt like I was playing as good as I could in the moment. She's tough power player, so you, it's just keeps you always playing on your back foot, honestly, against her. Um, so I was just trying my best.
1: Coco Gauff defeats Serena Sabalenka 2-6, 6-3, 6-2. She wins the U.S. Open, and at the age of 19, she's not the number one player in the world. That actually is going to go to Sabalenka, who, whether she won or lost, was going to get that honor for making the final. But there is no question that the face of women's tennis right now is 19-year-old American Coco Gauff. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll shift back to baseball. We'll hear from Cardinals President of Baseball Operations, John Moselock. The Cardinals are playing the Reds today. It's a twelve forty start. We have the pregame at 11-45, so we're going to be departing here right at 11-40 on sports on a Sunday morning. Just to review... Before we take a break and go to Mo, what we've done so far on the show, we talked to Cardinals manager Oliver Marmel. He was live with us from Cincinnati. That happened at 10.15. You can go back to the Odyssey app or the KMOX Sports on a Sunday morning podcast to listen to that. We chatted with Kevin Litt of UCP Heartland and our very special guest in studio, Andrew Price, about the wing ding that is coming to benefit UCP. That is Tuesday, September twelfth, 5.30 at the factory. The wing ding is the premiere wing contest in St. Louis. They have 13 restaurants and six on the waiting list trying to jump in there in case, I don't know, somebody's truck doesn't start or something like that. But uh, that's really exciting. A lot of great ones. Uh, you just go to, uh, Kevin, what's the site again that you go to to you, get tickets? You just
4: go to uh, d- uh, ucpheartland.org. Slash wingding.
1: UCP Heartland.org slash wingding. Uh, we visited with Kevin earlier in the show and they've been hanging out as special guests with us in studio. We also had Chris Roseman of the St. Louis Sports Commission talking about another upcoming event. That's on the twenty third Mizzou in Memphis at the Dome, and chiming in as a special mystery guest, Eli Drinkowitz jumped in on the conversation, the Mizzou coach himself. We asked him about the game at the Dome, the upcoming game against K State, and what happened last night against Middle Tennessee State. They did win 23-19. They didn't look very good. At 10.30, Dan Reardon was with us just before that from the Ascension Charity Classic at Norwood Hills Country Club. Sports on a Sunday morning. Ty Keo was along with us in the last segment, and John Moselock will be live next. It's 11.28, Sports on a Sunday morning, sponsored by Graybar. It's 1131 with our dear friend Andrew Price from UCP United Cerebral Palsy. I'm Tom Ackerman. Great to have Andrew in studio with us. We are online and on the radio. Before we get to John Moselock, I should mention the fifth annual Night of Champions Gala last night with Kyle McClellan, I was honored to kick things off and be the host last night. Rennie Knott of KSDK alongside raised about $250,000 last night for Brace for Impact 46, benefiting not only those great kids in Haiti and everyone who is having a tough time in that country, but uh, building homes and improving life in North St. Louis. They do such a great job. We were joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, former NBA player St. Louis and Jahidi White, Former Cardinals, Bo Hart, Ray Lankford, Benji Molina, uh, who is uh, a former Cardinals coach and a world champion and also a Cardinals broadcaster, Scott Spezio and Trevor Rosenthal, who had a great chat with after the event last night. It was fun to see all of them. We had a really, really good night. So thanks to everybody for joining us at the Four Seasons. Let's turn our attention to John Moselock, the Cardinals president of baseball operations. Mo, good morning. It was also a very nice outing for the Cardinals yesterday.
3: Yeah, playing a little better baseball right now. So uh, that's nice to see. Uh, Obviously, it's a very challenging road trip, uh, but so far so good. To take the first two series has been impressive.
1: Yeah, it really was. I mean, going to Atlanta, who saw that coming? Except, you know, the Cardinals offense is there. I mean, I I think that that might be one of the challenges that you have this offseason, Mo. Would I be correct in saying that? Is that you want to improve the pitching, but not at the expense necessarily of your great offense, which you do have going right now.
3: Yeah, that would be the hope. Um, You know, I, I feel like the the last like six weeks, meaning the remainder of this season and, and what we've been experiencing the last three is it's good to be able to push some players that normally may have not have gotten this opportunity. So like, watching uh, Thompson be able to pitch and and just really giving some of these younger guys a a chance is is hopefully something we can learn from and allow us to understand really what we have going into 2024.
1: Hells on the back end last night, and not to leave out the rest of your bullpen, but they were all good, Lawrence, King, Gallegos. But Ryan Helsley pitching uh, back-to-back nights. He threw 11 pitches the day before, so he's ready to go. But, man, blazes one in there at 102. What can we take out of that?
3: Well, I think the most important thing for him is, is, is understanding, you know, how to remain healthy and, you know, from a performance standpoint, I think everybody would agree. He's got incredible stuff, but you know, when you miss two and a half months of a season, it's, it's, you know, it, it can really put a, a lot of, uh, a pressure on other places. So it was great to see. It's good to see. And, you know, hopefully he can finish this season strong, have a normal off season, and be somebody we can count on for 2024.
1: Zach Thompson gave you five solid innings before that bullpen took over and beat the Reds, who were scraping and clawing for a playoff spot, and you kept them at bay. Before that, you uh took the Braves. I mean, they scored themselves, but kind of took them to the woodshed there the first two games. I mean, that was... A very impressive performance by your club offensively, and then you get the Reds and the Orioles upcoming. I know also, though, you have your eye on what's happening in the minor league system. You told me last week that you were going to head to Springfield. What did you observe with uh, your A team?
3: You know, they're playing really well right now, which is, is great to see. Um, you know, the guys we've got in the trades um, are starting to, uh, I think, get comfortable and, and feel good about where they are. So J.C. is uh, a really impressive hitter, uh, really excited about him. I, I think the, the one thing, you know, when you look at a modern-day player, he gives you a lot of flexibility. He can play almost anywhere in the infield, can uh, likely play the outfield if you needed him to, but most importantly, he looks really comfortable at the box.
1: Sounds familiar to me. Sounds like a, a exactly. Brendan Donovan type.
3: Yeah, I, I would say that. I think from, you know, at his age and and what he's accomplished as a hitter, you might even say you know he is more upside offensively than even somebody like a uh Brendan Donovan, but you know, Donovan obviously has had a lot of success at the big league, so we're pretty excited about what we're seeing there.
1: I I'm looking at that minor league system, some talent that pops out too. Somebody that I watched at spring training, that I wanted to see how he handled the bat because there's no doubt when he leaves the batter's box he's unbelievable and that's Victor Scott. Uh, what, what do you see out of
3: him? I would say he's had a breakout year. Um, you know, to be able to, to do what he's doing at at Double uh, the fact that he's uh, has a chance to be an elite defender, uh, definitely is a guy that's going to steal a lot of bases. But really exciting player and he'll represent us in the fall league and um, you know he's someone that I think. You know, when we look at spring training next year, he's going to be someone that probably ends up playing in the big leagues at some point in 2024.
1: I saw you elevated to J.C. to Memphis. And just looking at Memphis, what do you see? Or just in general, Memphis and Springfield, what are you keeping an eye on here down the stretch?
3: Well, really now it's, uh, you know, as as seasons start to wind down. So Peoria, for example, they'll play their last game today. And they'll uh, start the postseason this week. Double-A um, has one more week left and Triple-A too. But really, it's at this point, you're just trying to make sure guys can finish healthy. As you know, this is a, a longer minor league season than, than normal because most in the past, minor league seasons would end right at Labor Day. And then um, we'd have the, the expanded rosters at the big leagues. But now with the limited roster spots at the big leagues, the minor leagues have to keep going a little bit longer. So you have uh, the ability to still option players and, and bring healthy players or or fresh players up when needed.
1: Mo, we just have a couple minutes left before we go to pregame. Something I meant to ask you last week that I saw Derek Gould write about was spring training and your facility that uh, you've decided to hold off a little bit on that uh, renovation, which was going to be pretty extensive. Can you go into that a little bit if you would?
3: Sure. Um yeah, so like we were hoping to have the buildings come down and and begin the renovation back in April. We've we've hit some snags, we've hit some delays and and so now we're just going to have to redetermine what sort of next steps are, but I I think what's going to it's going to look like for spring of 2024 is We'll be back in the old building, um, and, and so really there's a pause or delay on, on when future construction will begin. But for fans that are planning on coming to Jupiter um, in, in 2024, it should feel very normal and uh, hopefully seamless. And then after uh, 2024 spring training, hopefully that and we can uh, begin uh, begin some renovations.
1: Uh, we have booked our condo for spring training, so that's good. We are in place and ready to go. We look forward to 2024, but seeing if the Cardinals can finish strong here and continue to give the fans a little bit of hope for what's to come. I know there's a lot of work to do between now and then. I really appreciate this. Always great to have you on KMOX, Mo. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Tom. Have a great
1: day. You too. John Mozeliak, Cardinals president of baseball operations, just before we take you to Cardinal baseball at 1140. The Cardinals... And the Reds today at 1240, 1145 is when Joe Pott will have our pregame. We've had a lot going on on the show. I probably missed a sport or two, but there's just it's just hard to squeeze everything in. I know NASCAR running in Kansas and all the things that are happening around town. It's, it's a lot. And, you know, Drew, you may have a point there. I mean, I, I ran that poll on Twitter last year, which is the best month for sports, or it was earlier this year. March, April, October, or other. And a lot of people chimed in and say, don't sleep on September. Might be right. This is a great time of year. You can go back to hear everything on our Odyssey app or check out the Sports on a Sunday morning podcast page at KMOX.com.
0: Cardinal Baseball is next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.